I love this time of year because we're all thinking about goals and priorities and what we want. But have you added take a vacation to the list? Because you should. And right now is the perfect time to plan your trip. And all you need is one website. Say hello to Expedia. One-stop shop for killer vacation planning. Expedia literally has every tool and everything you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a one key member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. I never thought I'd be sitting here telling you that I'm learning French. I mean, seriously, I'm so dyslexic. I didn't think I could ever attempt to learn a language, but Rosetta Stone is making it happen just in time for this Paris trip that I've planned with my daughters to celebrate my 55th birthday. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning app. It's available on desktop. It can be used as an app or on your phone or tablet. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, the Mel Robbins podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Mel. That's rosettastone.com slash Mel. Hey, it's your friend Mel, and welcome to the Mel Robbins podcast. Whew, I got to take a big exhale because... Today's conversation is going to be a good one. I have been dying to share a deeply personal story with you. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 47. And I wanted to talk to you about it because I'm not the only person who's been diagnosed late in life with ADHD. In fact, researchers say this is very common with women. And there's an entire generation of women. They've labeled them the lost generation who have struggled with ADHD their entire lives and never even knew it. And I was one of them. And you may be one of them too. And when I was finally diagnosed, this was just six years ago, and I'm going to tell you the whole story about how I got diagnosed because it was by mistake. But when I finally got that diagnosis, it was both a blessing and a curse. It was a blessing because I finally understood all the things that I had struggled with for my entire life. And here's why it was a curse. It was a curse because I couldn't help but reflect back on the past 47 years. I felt so much grief about the amount of struggles that I had. I wondered how things would have been different. If somebody had figured this out when I was really little, I wouldn't have struggled with anxiety or did some of the things I deeply regret. That's how big of a deal this has been in my life. And so today, you're going to learn the four key differences about how ADHD affects boys and girls. You're going to learn the reason why women go profoundly undiagnosed. You'll learn the surprising way most women find out that they have ADHD and the connection between anxiety, depression, eating disorders, and living with undiagnosed ADHD. And you will get a lot of good news because there is good news. And there's a lot that you can do to support yourself if you or someone you love have ADHD. And I'm going to focus on the impact on women, but we have fans across the entire gender spectrum. And when you hear what I'm about to explain to you, this will help you understand and empower your sister, your partner, your daughter, your girlfriend, your niece. Anybody that you know, because this conversation today is going to be full of resources that will help you empower yourself or other people in your life who have either been diagnosed or who haven't been diagnosed and are wondering, what the hell is wrong with me? Because that's basically how I felt for the first 47 years of my life. What the fuck is wrong with me? So six years ago, our son Oakley, he was in the fourth grade. 
And I was 47 years old and he was really struggling in school. He was interrupting class. He was fidgety. He didn't pay attention, blah, 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 blah. And luckily this was at a time in our life where we could afford to go outside the school and get a neuropsych exam. Huge shout out to Dr. Moldover. And sure enough, findings were very conclusive. He had profound dyslexia. He had dysgraphia, which is related to dyslexia. And the other thing he was diagnosed with is ADHD. And when I started reading the report, because when you get these uh, assessments done, and I'm sure a ton of you have had this experience either with your kids or maybe it happened to you when you were a kid, when we got the big report telling us all about Oakley's brain, I was sitting with his pediatrician, Dr. Blumenthal, and I'd known Mark for, my God, 16 years at this point. And we're flipping through the thing and Mark's going, yeah, 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 this makes a lot of sense, makes a lot of sense, you know, and we were going to talk options about what we could do in terms of therapy or medication or, you know, ways that we could support Oak. And I kind of looked at Mark and I said, you know, as I'm reading this, Mark, this sounds a lot like me. Do, do you think that maybe I have ADHD? And Dr. Blumenthal, I just love this guy. He leans back in his chair and he looks at me with this sort of stunned look on his face. He's like, do I think you have ADHD? Mel Robbins, of course you have ADHD. In fact, you're probably the most ADHD parent I have in my entire practice. You are so successful and you are a complete bird brain. Do you realize that you will go years and not bring your kids in for their wellness appointments? In fact, every fall, we have a joke. We know that you are going to be one of those 20 parents that call in a fucking panic because you need a physical. You need a physical. Your kid's practice starts tomorrow. You need a physical. And now you're, it's a five alarm fire, but you've missed their wellness appointment. And you do it every year. And you'll leave every exam and you'll go, oh yeah, okay, I'll follow up. I'll call you tomorrow. I'll tell you about it. You never do. And I just looked at him because I knew he was right. I always felt so incompetent about my ability to keep up with appointments or to remember things like that or any of it. And then he goes, so do I think you have ADHD? Of course you have ADHD. And I looked him square in the eye, you guys, and you know what I said to him? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me I had ADHD? And he goes, I'm not your doctor, Mel. I'll tell you, I was 47 years old when I realized that what I had been dealing with for my entire life may not be anxiety. It might just be fucking ADHD. And so I went to my uh, primary care. She referred me to a specialist, sure enough, just like my son, dyslexia, ADHD. And once something happens in my life, I am like a truffle pig rooting for a truffle. I literally start digging until I find something. And I made it my mission six years ago to find out everything I could possibly discover about ADHD. Not only because I wanted to help our son Oakley and eventually our daughter Kendall and our daughter Sawyer, but also because now that I had this diagnosis, I wanted to understand what the hell was going on so I could help myself. And what I learned is incredible. I am part of a lost generation of women who were diagnosed with anxiety or depression or an eating disorder or some other condition in my teens and 20s, when the underlying problem all along was that they missed the diagnosis of ADHD. And that's why I want to talk to you about it. 
I have wanted to have a conversation with you about this ever since we started this podcast eight months ago, but I have been reluctant to do it because I wanted to make sure I had resources to give you. Because every time I've talked about this on YouTube or on social, or I've talked about it on a talk show, we receive an avalanche of inbound stories, requests for information. And so I didn't want to unpack everything I'm going to share with you today until I knew I could point you in the right direction. And what we're going to talk about today is really important. What the research shows is that when you are not properly diagnosed with ADHD and you have it, the outcomes for girls in particular are horrendous. And the word horrendous is a word that one of the world's leading experts uses, not me. Let me just read this to you. This comes from Dr. Ellen Littman, who's a clinical psychologist, co-author of Understanding Girls with ADHD. And this is what she said. The risk for self-harm and suicide attempts is four times higher for girls with ADHD than girls without. That's terrifying. So the conversation that we're going to have today, it goes way beyond having trouble with homework or having trouble focusing. But I personally believe as I sit here and I look back on my life, I'm now 53 years old. I look back on my life and I know that I would not have struggled with anxiety the way that I did had I been properly diagnosed, medicated, and treated for ADHD when I was little. Full stop. And so if you're somebody that has struggled with low self-esteem, self-loathing, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, and you can't seem to turn the corner on this, I truly want you to consider what I'm about to share with you, what I've learned in the last six years of researching this extensively, talking to the world's leading experts about this, among them, Dr. Ned Hollowell, who wrote Driven Distraction. He's like the OG of uh, ADD research at Harvard. He's a world-renowned psychologist, Dr. Daniel Amen. The definition of ADHD, and this was new to me, ADHD is a chronic neurobiological disorder which affects the brain's structural and chemical capabilities and the way that your brain communicates. And it is also highly inheritable. And there is good news here. There's a lot of good news that you're gonna learn, but here's what I, we're gonna cover, okay? The six surprising signs that I didn't know, that I had all six of them, that could be signs that you too have adult ADHD. We're going to talk about why women were so profoundly underdiagnosed and have been for decades. We're going to talk about the mental health implication when you're not properly diagnosed and when you don't seek either therapeutic or occupational treatment for it. You're going to learn about the four key differences between how ADHD presents in boys and girls. And we're going to talk about what to do if you think this is you. And finally, we're going to get into what's actually happening in your brain when you have ADHD, because this is so fascinating. The first place to start is why are so many women underdiagnosed? Why does this go missing in girls? Well, the answer is this. When they first made ADHD a diagnosis back in the late 70s, they only studied boys. <laughs> That's it. They only studied boys. And boys present very differently than girls. They have totally different symptoms. And this is really important to understand because when I first heard the term ADHD, I thought of our son. 
leg is jittery, hands are fidgeting, you know, raising the hand, bumping up and down, got to run to the bathroom, bopping around, do to do to do, highly distracted. But what always confused me about him is that he could also laser focus on video games. So I sort of dismissed ADHD because I'm like, well, he can focus on video games. So it must be about his interest in things. No, 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 no. ADHD has both physical symptoms that you see on the surface, and those are typically what's present in boys. But girls typically do not present those jittery, interrupting kind of physical chaos. Boys present four key differences with ADHD than girls do. Here they are. Number one, when a boy has ADHD, they have symptoms that appear on the surface, impulsive behavior, fidgeting, getting distracted, being very physical with their inability to concentrate. Girls, uh, we have the opposite symptoms. Ours are all internal. We're restless. We daydream. We're hard on ourselves. We're forgetful. We're disorganized. And we start to aim it at ourselves as a character flaw. So when you're a girl with ADHD, you daydream you're disorganized, you're hard on yourself, you make careless mistakes, you might be called a tomboy or super creative. But what happens, and this is why this is so scary and this is what happened to me, is that when you sit in a classroom and you see all your friends turning things in on time or staying organized or their lockers are clean and yours is a mess and you're running late, you start to think you have a character defect. You start to think there's something wrong with you. And it also gets missed because it's internal. We're not sitting there bouncing our leg and jumping and raising our hand. We have the opposite impact. The second key difference between boys and girls is that boys present earlier, typically around the age of seven. Girls, however, present later on average, like around 12. The third reason why there's a big difference between girls and boys is because boys wear it on their sleeve. They have trouble controlling their physical outbursts, whereas girls, girls are excellent at hiding this. Why? Well, because we feel the pressure to conform. We do our best to cope, look around and see what everybody else is doing, and we start working harder to compensate for what we feel is a character default in us, that we are lesser than, that we're not good enough, that everybody else seems to get this but me, and we hide it. And here's the big fucking difference between girls and boys with ADHD. Boys tend to get better. Girls get worse. And that is exactly what happened to me. I got way worse way worse. What goes from daydreaming, following instructions, making careless mistakes, forgetfulness, all-nighters, not being able to stay organized, that chronic struggle turns into, I'm fucked up. There's something wrong with me. And a profound correlation between anxiety, depression, eating disorders, suicidal thoughts. This is not just me, by the way. Let me pull some of the research out because this shit is scary. You can hear me flipping through my papers. Women with ADHD face the feelings of being overwhelmed and exhausted the same way that men do. However, women increasingly 
have psychological distress, feel inadequate, low self-esteem, chronic stress. This is extremely common. One clinical psychologist, Dr. Ellen Lippman, wrote the book, Understanding Girls with ADHD. The outcomes for girls are horrendously negative compared to boys because ADHD materializes dramatically differently in girls as they get older. Anxiety and depression turn into low self-esteem and self-loathing. That happened to me. And the risk for self-harm and suicide attempts, four to five times greater for girls with ADHD. This is not about having trouble with homework. This is not about remembering birthdays. Because unlike boys, girls' symptoms veer inward. That's where the anxiety comes in. That's where the depression comes in. That's where the eating disorders come in. That's where the self-harm come in is because you actually believe something's wrong with you. And here's what I'm here to say. There's nothing wrong with you. Absolutely nothing wrong with you. In fact, ADHD has a high correlation to being a successful entrepreneur, to being highly creative, to being a problem solver, a risk taker. There is so much beauty in this. But you also need to understand if you're dealing with a neurobiological disorder, which impacts your prefrontal cortex. Girls' symptoms are almost entirely internal and they happen later. Most girls that have undiagnosed ADHD, you know what they start to have on the surface? Anxiety. Because of course, if you're going to go into school every day and you're disorganized and you make careless mistakes and you're hard on yourself and you start to tell yourself there's something wrong with you, of course you're going to feel anxious about going. And it makes perfect sense, right? And that's exactly what happened to me. In fact, I was treated for decades for anxiety and I am sitting here telling you right now, I 100% believe the issue I had all along was very simple. I had dyslexia and ADHD and nobody fucking knew it. And instead, I developed anxiety. Why? Because that's what happens when you have undiagnosed ADHD and you don't understand why your brain doesn't work the same way as everybody else. You don't understand why you're always late, why you can't get it together, why things are always a mess, why there's clutter around you, why you're constantly missing deadlines or doctor's appointments or leaving your Kleenex on the counter or you can't forget that. I, like it's relentless. And so of course anxiety would develop. And I'm on a mission today to share absolutely everything that I have learned in my own deeply personal research to be a better mother of kids with ADHD and to be a better partner to myself as I live my life as an adult with ADHD. And what I've learned is life-changing. There are things that you can do. There are very surprising signs. And I need to say right up front, I'm not a doctor. The purpose of this episode is not meant to diagnose you at all. I am here to entertain you with my story. And I am here to educate you based on my personal experience. And I am here to empower you to know that this is a reality for so many women in particular, so that if it rings true for you, you go seek the professional help that's out there to get a very clear answer of what's happening for you. That's what this is about, because that's how you create a better life. All right. When we come back, we're going to start with your brain and ADHD. And then what we're going to cover a little bit later are the six surprising signs of ADHD in adults, all of which I had, all of which everybody missed. Don't you dare go anywhere. We'll be right back. The Mel Robbins Podcast is proudly sponsored by Amica Insurance, our exclusive insurance partner. 
Amika understands how important it is to protect the things that matter most to you. So they'll put in the time to make sure you're taken care of, whether it's talking through all the details of your policy or following up after a claim. Your auto, home, and life insurance are more than just policies. They're protection for the life you've built. As Amika says, empathy is our best policy. Go to amica.com and get a quote today. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Some things should be boring, like banking. Boring is steady and reliable. You don't want your bank to be constantly changing. Constant change is for podcasts about personal growth, not for banks. PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc. PNC Bank, National Association, member FDIC. Have you ever heard about the Your Garage feature on cars.com? Here's how it works. You add your car to your garage to track its market value and cash in when the time is right to sell. Track both your car's historical, real-time, and projected value. And then when it's time to sell, easily secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome back. I'm Mel Robbins. And today we're talking ADHD in women in particular. And in just a second, we're going to get to the six surprising signs of adult ADHD. But first, I really want to dig into what's happening in an ADHD brain. And this comes from research from Dr. Ned Hollowell. It comes from Dr. Eamon. I know that Huberman Lab just did a bunch of podcast episodes on this, but this is how everybody talks about it. So the good thing about ADHD is it seems like the research that's been going on for decades is very conclusive about the prefrontal cortex and how ADHD impacts it. And just to remind you, because I want to make sure we invite everybody into this conversation, whether you're somebody that loves the PhD type stuff and you already understand the prefrontal cortex, or you're somebody that's never even heard that term before. Everybody is included in the Mel Robbins podcast. So the prefrontal cortex is basically a part of your brain that's behind your forehead in what they call the frontal lobe. And your prefrontal cortex has the important job of switching between different neural networks that regulate your thoughts, your actions, and emotions, okay? So for example, if you've ever heard the term executive functioning, that term gets thrown around a lot when kids are getting assessed for learning style differences or for attention. Executive functioning is also used to refer to your prefrontal cortex and its ability to act like a secretary, to be able to switch gears and help you plan ahead and get organized. Here's an example. Imagine you're packing for a two-day business trip. Executive functioning or your prefrontal cortex that's the secretary that kind of talks to you as you're packing that goes, okay, okay, you're going to be gone for two nights. So uh, you probably need three pairs of underwear. Are you going to exercise while you're gone? Yeah. Okay. What's the weather like? Oh, so I should use shorts, not sweatpants. Oh, I should probably bring a pair of uh, socks if I'm going to go for a long walk. If I want to go to Pilates, you're going to need the grippy socks. That little voice in your head, that thing that's helping you plan, you don't really notice it, do you? That secretary, that's your prefrontal cortex. That is the act of executive functioning. 
Pretty cool, huh? I like to think about the prefrontal cortex almost like an old-fashioned phone operator switcher. You know, where you see in the movies where somebody unplugs one cord and sticks it into another uh, hole to connect things. Another example that a lot of researchers use is an orchestra conductor or a teacher in a classroom. Somebody that's responsible for quieting down a large number of people and then calling on, you know, a certain student. So I played the flute in elementary school. And I remember the orchestra conductor was always like, tap, 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 shh, at me. So the first chair of the flute could play the, the little stanza song thingy my job and get everybody started. Thanks a lot, dude. And that brings me back to your prefrontal cortex and the fact that its main role is to be able to switch between different neural networks, like an orchestra conductor, that regulate your thoughts, actions, and emotions in your brain. And that's important when it comes to attention because attention isn't just focusing on something. The skill of attention requires your prefrontal cortex because there are two very different networks and functions in your brain that you use at the same time while you're trying to focus and pay attention. So let's talk about attention, okay? Because one mistake that people make with ADHD is they think that ADHD means you can't focus on something. That's not what it means. ADHD is the inability to direct and hold your attention in appropriate ways, in appropriate settings and situations. That's what it means. That's why you'll often see kids with ADHD that can play video games for hours. That was what our son Oakley did. I could literally be banging pots and pans behind this kid. And he wouldn't even know it. He was so focused. But he had an inability to direct that attention in appropriate ways in other cases. And let me just use the example that I just gave you. It's not healthy that he was so focused on video games that he couldn't hear pots and pans. And so let's unpack what attention is. So attention is a really important skill, right? You've got to be able to pay attention if you want to be successful at work, if you want to learn new things. You need to be able to direct your attention and in relationships. I mean, just think about it. There are times where somebody's talking and your stomach hurts or you want to get a bite to eat or you really don't give a shit and you want to yawn or you want to interrupt them. Your ability to pay attention and suppress the urge to interrupt them or to yawn or to excuse yourself, that is the skill of attention. And it's critical for relationships. Otherwise, you're going to look like a rude asshole. And so attention requires your prefrontal cortex to be able to switch between two neural networks in your brain. One of the neural networks is the part of your brain that is aware and paying attention to everything around you, okay? All the noise around you and all of your thoughts and your feelings in your body. So one neural network that your prefrontal cortex needs to control is the ability to shh all the noise around you and all the noise within you. And I'm going to bring in an example that is used throughout the research with ADHD. And it's the example of an orchestra conductor. So your prefrontal cortex is an orchestra conductor. And I want to just bring in the sound of an orchestra warming up. You hear all the different sounds and the, you know, like an orchestra getting ready and unpacking and warming up. That's you in the world. And one thing that your prefrontal cortex does when it comes to attention 
is it lifts up the little sticks and it points at the horns who are making too much noise and goes, shh. This is called a top-down function. It is able to tap into a neural network to suppress, shh, hey horns, shut the hell up, shh, 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 and silence the noise outside of you and silence the noise within you, your grumbling stomach, your thoughts about what you're doing tonight, so that the prefrontal cortex can then tap into the second neural network, which is the ability to raise up and focus on something specific. Hey, strings, it's time for you. Let's magnify and amplify you because now the horns are quiet. We can now amplify the string section and hear it. And so that's the network that allows you, if you crack open a book, you focus on the book itself, but you also focus on the words in your mind and what you're learning and processing as you're reading it. So your prefrontal cortex, when it comes to attention, has to do those two things. The shh of the distractions outside you and the grumbling stomach in you so that it can turn toward what you want to focus on and direct your attention appropriately. If you can't switch between those two things of the shh and the focus, you can't pay attention. I can give you an example because I'm realizing my prefrontal cortex could not fucking do this. I went to Dartmouth College and they have this incredible library, Baker Library, and I would always go to the stacks in the library to study. And I would carry my stack of books and I would carry my notebooks and my pens and my highlighters and I would commit to being there all day. Okay, I'm gonna gonna study. I would sit down and as soon as I sit down and crack open a book, you wanna know what happened? I literally would be like, oh my God, I think I'm hungry. I got to go to the bathroom. Do I feel like studying? I'm not quite sure. And then I hear somebody walking and be like, who's that? Oh, is that Emily? Hey, Emily. I was incapable of that part of attention that your prefrontal cortex needs you to do. I was incapable of suppressing the sensation in my body, suppressing the monologue in my fucking mind and tuning out and suppressing the noises around me. I would sit there for eight hours and distract myself because this core function of my prefrontal cortex didn't work, couldn't do it. So of course I had trouble paying attention because I couldn't suppress my internal noise because if I've got the book cracked open, I can't be paying attention to what my voice is saying. I've got to turn on the part of the brain that can now focus on the words on the page, right? My brain did not work that way. People with ADHD are missing a conductor that's working properly. And that's what the experts mean when they say that you have a neurobiological disorder that affects the brain structurally and chemically, as well as ways in which various parts of the brain communicate with one another. It takes a lot of mental fuel to quiet that network in your mind. It takes more mental fuel to activate a different network that helps you focus. And so what also happens for everybody with ADHD is you're not only spinning your wheels, you're also draining the energy tank. 
Dr. Amen, who's been on this podcast, one of the world's leading experts in the brain. He's done over 60,000 scans of brains. And when you look at anybody's brain scan who has a ADHD brain, what they find is there's not sufficient blood flow. The conductor can't work properly because it's not getting the blood flow that it needs. And he calls this a sleepy brain that your brain is not getting the blood flow, the dopamine, the norepinephrine, or whatever the hell it's called, because we all know I can't say it. And that's why so many people with ADHD chase dopamine dumps like shopping or alcohol or any other addictive kind of behavior. So what we're going to do next is I'm going to cover the six lesser known and surprising signs of adult ADHD. And more importantly, we're going to cover what you can do about it if you think this is you or someone you love. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Have you ever heard that saying, if you love what you do, you will never work a day in your life? But let's be real. You can love what you do and still put in endless hours and lots of hard work, especially if you're a creator like me or an entrepreneur or you're into the online courses. So that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, Kajabi. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that will help you creators and small business owners build successful online businesses and unlock predictable recurring revenue. Whether you want to launch a membership site, a subscription podcast, build a thriving community, launch and sell online courses, or deliver personalized coaching, Kajabi is for you. And Kajabi doesn't take a cut of your revenue. You keep 100% of what you earn. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash mel. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash mel. Go to kajabi.com slash mel and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion using the platform. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success. So you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back. I'm Mel Robbins. And today I'm talking about my uh, diagnosis of ADHD, how I was diagnosed at the age of 47 late in life, and what I have learned in the last six years of digging into this topic, researching it and learning as much as I can, not only to help myself and our two daughters who also have ADHD, but so that I could share this information because I want as many people to understand this as possible. So these are the six lesser known signs of adult ADHD. Number one is hyperfocus. And this was a surprise to me because I remember seeing this in our son. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, this kid does not have ADHD. He just hates homework. I mean, he can sit and laser focus in on his video games. So clearly he can laser focus in on homework. That's not true. A surprising sign of ADHD is the ability to hyper, hyper, hyper focus in certain settings, but not be able to pay attention at all in other settings. And this has to do with what's going on in your brain and your prefrontal cortex in particular when you have ADHD, which we will get to in a moment. But hyper focus 
is present for me. I can hyper-focus and get lost in my work. I can hyper-focus when I have to give a speech. Like I literally have like those blinders on that horses wear, the big Clydesdales. I have tunnel vision when I have to do something like that. It's like the rest of the world does not exist. Now, when I'm done doing something like that, I have a complete collapse. I'm exhausted. My brain, the gas tank is empty, but I can hyper-focus, which would make you think, well, then you don't have ADHD. Well, here's the rub on it. ADHD is not the inability to focus. That's not what it is. ADHD is a disorder in your brain that impacts your prefrontal cortex and the two jobs that the prefrontal cortex must do around attention itself. And we will get into this because attention is both being able to tune out or suppress external and internal noise. And it is also the ability to ramp up parts of your brain so that you can focus on something effectively. And so it's way more than just paying attention to something. It requires a bunch of switching in your brain in terms of which network your brain is using. And we're going to dig into that. Don't worry. Second sign that is a lesser known sign of adult ADHD, difficulty controlling your emotions. I'll say that again, difficulty controlling your emotions. When you struggle with ADHD, you're using up so much mental energy trying to pay attention that there's no gas in the tank to be able to tolerate the emotions of being frustrated or tired. Guys are like, fuck this homework, and they get physical and they go do something else. Women aim it at themselves. It's why I would snap at my kids all the time. It's why I would get this tone of voice when I'm frustrated with something and I just can't deal anymore. It's why I would get really emotional with myself and erupt at myself. Why the fuck did you forget her birthday again? What is wrong with you? She's your best fucking friend. Why haven't you bought Christmas presents yet? Why do you leave everything to the last minute? You missed that deadline again. So being eruptive at myself as well. The third really surprising sign of adult ADHD, and boy, do I have this one in spades, impulsive shopping and overspending. It's like you're blind to it. And you get this huge rush for buying something. And then all of a sudden you realize that was stupid and you didn't need it. And this has to do with what Dr. Amen, who's one of the world's leading experts on the brain, says is your attempt to stimulate your brain with a dopamine rush. So shopping isn't the only addictive behavior. A lot of adults that have ADHD and it's not properly being managed have a problem with drinking, drugs, other addictions, impulsive behaviors, all tied to the structural issue with the prefrontal cortex. The fourth surprising sign is time blindness. Time blindness. You're terrible with time management. I am terrible with time management. I'm constantly late. I keep myself on track with reminders on my phone. I am the last person to get in the car for our family. I am always a minute late to the call. As hard as I try to be on time, it feels impossible to me. Another surprising sign is that many people with ADHD are actually very high functioning. On the outside, you look like a workaholic. You look very successful. Or if you're not working, you're just one of those people that's super duper 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 busy. But here's the thing. 
your busyness and your workaholism is scattered all over the place. And that desire to keep your mind busy is also due to the fact that you have problems in your prefrontal cortex suppressing the noise that is going on outside and also the noise going on with your critical voice. And finally, this leads me to the big one. Adults with ADHD tend to be highly, highly, highly self-critical. You constantly beat yourself up for not being able to do simple things. You're worried that you're disappointing everybody. You're wondering why it looks effortless for everybody else but you. And this is the default mode of what your own inner dialogue sounds like. Ding, 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 ding. Mel Robbins, I got all six. Let me just explain some of the ways this played out in my life, because I think this will give you an insight into what you may be dealing with if this is in fact you. So in relationships, I was plagued, plagued for 50 years with feeling like I'm not a good enough friend. I'm not a good enough girlfriend. I'm not a good enough sister. I'm not a good enough mom or wife that I should have sent more care packages. Why can't I remember birthdays? Why am I always missing the sign-up date for school conferences, for this, for that? Why am I always arriving late for pickup? You know, if I were better at this or a better person, like this plagued me. It plagued me. And here's the thing. Now that I'm diagnosed with it, I still do this shit. If I don't put the systems in place. And what did that mean for me? Well, when it comes to birthdays, I feel like an asshole when I miss somebody's birthday. And so I spent an entire day cross-checking Facebook, which is where most people's birthdays are, and putting them on repeat in my Google Calendar. That worked sort of, but I realized when the thing goes off on the day of somebody's birthday, it just makes me remember to call them or text them. But there are people in my life I'd like to send a present to. So by failing again for a year, I realized I need to go a step further and put a week before notification that goes off. So I have time to actually get a present or a card in the mail. And so you start to set up systems because you realize this is just not the way your brain works. It's just not wired to remember this shit. And that's okay. That's okay. But I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I just thought I was a shitty friend. I just thought everybody else figured this out but me. Another thing, work. When I look back at my work history, holy moly. I am a horrendous employee unless I am in an environment where I can move all over the place. I cannot work in an office. Why? Well, because I can't, shh. I have this like problem where if my kids are two rooms away from me and they're listening to TikTok videos, it's as if they're blaring them in my ears. I can't suppress that noise around me. And so any job that I had in an office, I wanted to die. Because I could hear everybody at all times. I could hear the door. I could hear the elevator ding. I did not know that this was ADHD. I just thought I had like super ears or something. I thought everybody heard like this. And so when I think about the jobs where I was really successful, I was moving around. Waitressing. Loved waitressing. 
bartending. Oh, I loved bartending. Uh, working at legal aid when I was a, a criminal defense attorney for legal aid in 1994 as a young lawyer. I loved that job because I would start the day in my office. I'd walk across the street to the court at 100 Canal Street. I'd be in court bopping around all day. I'd be out to Rikers. I'd be back to the office. It was always changing. That was beautiful for my brain. What I do now, beautiful for my brain. No day is the same. I excel in what we do now because I am working in a place that works for this kind of brain. School, I've already explained to you, disaster, absolute disaster. Yeah, 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 I know, I got into Dartmouth. So I scored really well on the SATs and I came from a tiny town in Michigan. In fact, nobody had ever applied there. But I was the queen of all-nighters, the queen of procrastination. I can look back now and realize why I almost failed this big engineering class at Dartmouth. It's because there were 400 kids in the class. I couldn't pay attention. I couldn't organize myself. I was time blind. I, I missed out on so much because I was so busy thinking that I was a failure. And why couldn't I get this? And why couldn't I organize? And why couldn't I read on time? I don't even know how I got through law school. Um, daily life, clutter everywhere. Literally, papers everywhere. Kleenexes, blow my nose, put them on a counter. Overspending. Does this sound familiar? You kind of overspend to compensate for other things. You feel bad about yourself, so you buy a new outfit or you forgot to take something to the dry cleaner and now you don't have a dress to wear, so you got to quickly order a dress, but then you don't like the dress. This is my life. And then the credit card bill comes. I should be the poster child for the container store because until we did the episode that we recently did about decluttering versus organizing, I just thought if I just bought more baskets and I made everything look pretty, then I would be organized. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But I think the biggest thing for me and why I wanted to talk to you about this is because of the heightened impact of the negative self-talk. See, that's the thing that I was never able to suppress shh, until recently. The critical, relentless voice harping in my ear, constantly criticizing what I wasn't doing. I had no clue this was related to ADHD. The most important aspect of dealing with ADHD for myself is not to make myself wrong for it and not to hate the ADHD. Think about it this way. If you got diagnosed with diabetes, does it help you to hate diabetes? No. The benefits now that I can address it effectively and in a healthy way, far outweigh having a normal brain, a non-ADHD brain. And I wouldn't trade it for anything, but I sure as hell wish I would have known about this sooner. It would have helped me make way healthier and more um, empowering choices, particularly when I was struggling profoundly during college and law school. I'll just leave it at that. If you understand it and you know what it is, you can empower yourself to live with it and take proactive steps to embrace it and to cope in a positive way. The good news is there's so much you can do to support yourself. There are so many interventions and modalities that help, whether you're going to explore medications, which I've done, which have been life-changing. I mean, when I got diagnosed with ADHD and I dug into it and started researching it, I immediately started tapering off anxiety medication because I'm like, this explains everything. 
And I went on long acting Adderall. It changed my freaking life. And I don't need it in every environment. Like I don't take it on the weekends because I don't really care if the orchestra's playing. And in certain environments, like whenever I have to give a keynote address and I'm standing backstage, I would never, ever take Adderall on that day. And here's why. The adrenaline that I feel, it's the neuroadrenaline. That's another way you can say that word. I can't say neuroepinephrine or whatever. The adrenaline that hits your brain, the go, go, go of that, it makes the conductor work. I literally have blinders on. And so the adrenaline in that situation makes the switching of the conductor in my brain, shh, everything around me. I don't even hear the event happening. I literally am so focused on what I'm about to go do that the environment provides the chemical release that stimulates my brain to do what I need it to do. So stimulants have been wildly effective for me and effective for one of our kids, not all of our kids. And, you know, it begs the question, why is it that a stimulant is effective for somebody that has something in their brain that makes them fidgety or makes them distracted? Well, it has to do with the blood flow and the neurotransmitters in your brain, which I'm not going to explain to you right now. We'll bring on a full expert like Dr. Ned Hollowell, who is the world's leading expert on ADHD. He's the GOAT. He wrote Driven to Distraction. We can bring on uh, Dr. Amen, who has scanned all the brains and can tell you why so many people with ADHD seek a dopamine dump rush from overspending or drinking or some of the other kind of not so great behaviors. Uh, But we'll have an expert explain that. But one of the things that I think is really interesting is that it's important If you think that this is something going on with either a son or a daughter, that you get this looked at by a professional because studies after study in the last five years have said and concluded that children with ADHD in particular have far, far, far better outcomes later in life if they are treated for ADHD when they're kids. And they think that this is due to the fact that the stimulants and the adrenaline and the dopamine accelerates neuroplasticity. And so there's some theories out there that not only does it have better mental health outcomes, particularly for girls, because when you treat this properly, whether you're doing it, you know, I think behavioral therapy combination of medication, if that's the right thing, which can be tricky, or other more natural supplements, if that's what you care about. Caffeine is something that a lot of parents give their kids instead of some of the other stimulants. That's a deeply personal choice. But I think it's important to know that kids not treated with drugs and behavioral therapy when they have ADHD have a higher tendency toward addiction and not great outcomes versus the kids with ADHD who are treated with drugs and with natural stimulants and behavioral therapy. And this is research in the last five years. I think it's important to say that. I'm not telling you what to do, but in order to save your daughter from the profoundly negative impacts of ADHD on psychology and on anxiety and depression and eating disorders, this is something I want you to take seriously and dig into and learn about and get educated about. And the best place to start is your pediatrician. 
if you're an adult going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this is me, this is me, this is my sister, this is my daughter, this is my boss, this is my colleague, this is my friend, great, send them this episode. Attached to this episode, like all episodes, is a plethora of resources. And one of the resources that we are going to link to is a self-assessment. This is not how you get diagnosed with ADHD, but this is how you can learn more about ADHD um, and sort of the surprising symptoms and impacts so that you are more empowered to go seek something. And I would start with your general practitioner and ask them uh, where to go. That's the best place to start or with a therapist. You can also start with a lot of the online talk therapy platforms. And if you are between the ages of 20 and 75, you may be in this generation of women who developed anxiety or depression or an eating disorder. And you've always wondered what the hell is wrong with you. I'm encouraging you if any of this was resonant, please go talk to your primary care doctor. I feel like the gas tank in my brain, is it empty? So I am gonna get up and go for a walk outside. I cannot wait to hear your reaction to this episode. I know that you're gonna share your stories and I would love to do a ton more episodes about this. I wanna talk about the medications out there and what they do and why and how they impact your prefrontal cortex. I would love to dig more into non-stimulant interventions. Um, okay. I love you. I don't want to forget to say that. In case nobody else tells you today, the bloopers on this episode are going to be fucking amazing. And they're coming next. All right. I'll talk to you in a few days. The hell is that? Oh, this is the fucking... Let me put that. There goes the tree cutter. And here I was on a roll, damn it. Oh my God. Welcome to my marriage. My husband decided right about now would be a great time to get in the tractor and move rocks. Oh my God. Okay, hold on. Let me just call him and be like, could you possibly do this two hours from now? You know, he sees us recording. He was just in here. So I think I'll just go outside the podcast window and move some rocks. And you know, here's why I feel like an ass. He's moving those rocks for my planting beds. My husband never has his phone on him. Let me go ask him if it's possible to do this later. Dopamine and the neuro or the, uh, the, the, ephro, the, the, I can't say the damn word, like neuro, no, ephro, nephro, ephro, adrenaline or whatever the hell it's called. I, I can't even say it. Oh, and one more thing. And no, this is not a blooper. <laughs> this is the legal language. You know what the lawyers write and what I need to read to you. This podcast is presented solely for educational and entertainment purposes. I'm just your friend. I am not a licensed therapist. And this podcast is not intended as a substitute for the advice of a physician, professional coach, psychotherapist, or other qualified professional. Got it? Good. I'll see you in the next episode. Stitcher. Core Hydration believes that mental and physical wellness starts with balanced hydration. And that's why Core Hydration is balanced to work in harmony with your body's natural pH. You have to start somewhere. Start at the core. It's true. You do have to start somewhere. And you know what I tell you every single day? 
You got to stop thinking about what you want to do with your life and you got to just start doing it. So take this as a sign from me and Core Hydration that you got to stop thinking and you got to start doing. To learn more about Core Hydration, visit hydratewithcore.com. Shout out to our sponsor, Peloton. You know, spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up. And this is one of my favorite times of year to get into a good rhythm, tap into my power, build toward my goals. And my favorite way to get going is by hopping on my Peloton treadmill. And Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. Peloton accommodates your schedule with a variety of class lengths to choose from. Even if you only have five minutes, there's classes to get you moving your body. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and mood. And if you can't run, take a walking class. I love those. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workout. It's all on the Peloton treadmill. Move at your own pace. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com.